1: Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Mark Thiessen, standing Byer from the Washington Post, Fox News contributor. Uh, and we know everything that he does on a regular basis, including former speech, uh, chief speechwriter for George W. Bush during 9-11. Uh, so we have a lot to discuss with him about it. you have reading his columns. You know, he's been leading the charge and has outraged of all of you about President Biden's decision. And today it is a lot of let me set the record straight. Not that it helps anything, but it should clarify exactly where the blame belongs. And that's with the president, who, by the way, will spend a presser today, probably not taking any questions because he wants to introduce a booster shot to his COVID-19 attack plan, which has been going so well. Isn't that great? And then the vice president will be announcing that she's going to Vietnam. Perfect timing. She is a disaster. Big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: Here you have Andrew Cuomo, who may or may not be a made member of the mafia, La Cosa Nostra, telling you that he suddenly knows more about COVID than practicing nurses and physicians. He's telling them what to do. He's giving them a medical mandate. It's purely about obedience. It's hardly about
4: medicine.
2: Third shot. That's what President Biden will announce. America's need to fight the China virus. Uh, Our mandate mania continues. By the way, we we don't, and we will never hear about COVID treatments. Why don't we hear about that? If you get it, why do we just hear about hospitalizations? Why can't we do something at home? Did you ever go to a doctor's office and have the doctor say just go home? That's what they're saying with COVID-19. Why are we accepting that? Number two. Mike Morrell weighed in yesterday, and he says the intel had contingency, had prepared this administration for what they were about to see in Afghanistan. They ignored it. Support for exiting Afghanistan drops now 20%. It's at 49% thinks we should leave. Should we really be going now as the terror threats remain? And where do we go from here? Most respected minds from both sides of the aisle weigh
5: in. Number one. Our message remains for American citizens and for others who have expressed interest uh, in relocation out of Afghanistan. Shelter in place until and unless you receive a communication from the U.S. Embassy.
2: Unbelievable, Ned Price, State Department. What a, he is so over his head and scared to death. Meanwhile, can you imagine what it's like in Kabul and around that country? Getting worse. Thousands of Americans stuck in Afghanistan. Roads to airports blocked. From the most most outside the capital, arteries to Kabul are blocked. What do we do now? Why did the military leave before the civilians left? Why do the Taliban have American weapons? Where is the Secretary of Defense? Where is General Milley? Where are the president where is the president and vice president America is demanding answers it's just outrageous mark tyson joins us now mark we're in a we're in a hell of a situation and i think things are only going to get worse and i wish i wasn't saying that
3: i think you're 100% correct i think we're only at the beginning of this i mean if you think back you know keep in keep in mind that this one of the lessons of this debacle is that people who make epic mistakes tend to repeat them. So this is not Joe Biden's first rodeo. This, he is the guy who was assigned by Barack Obama to manage and supervise the US withdrawal from Iraq, right, in 2011. He said he said it was one of the proudest moments of his life. It would be one of the great achievements of the Obama administration. He called Barack Obama from Baghdad and said, thank you for letting me end this goddamn war. And instead, what he did is he reignited it, the, the, the ISIS, had been down, according to John Brennan, Obama's CIA director, ISIS had been reduced to just 700 uh, fighters in Iraq, and within a, within a matter of months, they had regrouped, reconstituted themselves, built a caliphate the size of Great Britain. They started crucifying people, beheading people, uh, burning people in cages, and they and they spread their tentacles. Across the entire world, they, they carried out uh, 149 attacks in 29 different countries that killed over 2,000 people, and it required us to send the U.S. military back in to redefeat them. And but, uh, Joe Biden was the one who presided over that. And now, you know, you think people learn from their mistakes; they they, they figure out what was going, nope. what they did wrong. They they he just repeated the same mistake and even worse and I'll tell you why this is worse, Brian, because in Iraq, at least the government stayed in power. We left behind a a, a, a partner quiet. government it was quiet. that was able that was able we left behind a government that was able to partner with us once we once we came to our senses able to partner with us to beat back the terrorists. In Iraq, the government has fallen. I mean, in Afghanistan, the government has fallen it 's a complete and total defeat. We have nobody on the ground that can that can work with us to fight to fight the terrorists. We gave up and all so our
2: bases. Have- they have all our weapons i 'm just yeah. watching now a, a plane is lifting off from Kabul Airport. But the problem is, and we talked to somebody caught on the outside, an American citizen, went to visit his family who's struggling but had helped us during the war. And he got an email from the State Department because the embassy was vacated, didn't tell anybody. He went down. He says the airport airport is total chaos. He was afraid to pick out his passport because he thought he'd get shot because Taliban is everywhere. So he's trying to get close to, to an American to say, I can get through the gate. But he can't even get close because if he does get close and finds a way to get close and he doesn't get in, they'll know he's an American and he'll get killed on the spot. I cannot believe I just in all my lifetime, I never thought an American military operation would go this poorly. There was 20 years to plan at the very least six months to evacuate. You did nothing. So I could play a million cuts from Republicans. But Leon Panetta, former CIA director and defense secretary and former chief of staff for Bill Clinton, cut 23.
6: Our national security is threatened by what has happened in Afghanistan. We went there for two missions, one to go after al-Qaeda and the leadership of al-Qaeda and bin Laden. But there was a second mission which was to prevent Afghanistan from ever becoming a safe haven for terrorism again. Unfortunately, we have failed at that mission. And with the Taliban now controlling Afghanistan, there is no question that they will provide a safe haven for al-Qaeda and for ISIS and for other terrorists to be able to reorganize, uh, strengthen themselves again, and potentially use Afghanistan as a base for attacking uh, not just the United States, but other countries as well.
2: And other countries are furious at us. You see some of these comments from the new, who seems to be the new chancellor of Germany, the European Union. The U.K. can't figure it out. I'm watching Sky News for the last few days. We They were willing to stay, Mark Thiessen, 5,600 well, on top of our 2,500. General Milley says, I need 4,000. We'll be fine. And he takes them all out and says, "I'm going to live with this i'm 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 standing behind this decision, but we were surprised about the speed and today, to the surprise of not mark Tyson, the intelligence uh the intelligence apparatus is speaking out through media saying we told him so does that does that not surprise you mark
3: It doesn't surprise me, and I'll tell you Leon Panetta is right, except in one thing: mission we didn't fail, we chose." This was a decision by the politician. The military did not fail in that mission in Afghanistan. We were succeeding in that mission in Afghanistan because, for all the you know talk about nation building and for being the world's policeman and all the rest of that, we weren't nation building in Afghanistan. We weren't policing. We handed the mission over of fighting the Taliban to the Iraq to the Afghani forces in December of twenty fifteen, and they in that period they lost as many as fifty seven thousand fighters on the battlefield fighting the Taliban. We are, are they, the Afghan army was fighting our enemies for us. What we were doing, we were providing them with intelligence. We were providing them with mission planning. We were providing them with air support with a few thousand troops on the ground. We could have done that indefinitely. We kept, we were, they were keeping their boot on the necks of the Taliban, preventing them from turning that country into a safe haven for terrorism, and we abandoned them. It was a decision. It was not the military that screwed this up. It was not the military. It was a decision by the politicians in Washington, by Joe Biden, Tony Blinkett. And here's, by the way, let me, you know, everybody's. I I blame Joe Biden for all of this. But you know what? He surrounded himself with a bunch of advisors who who uh, who enabled this, enabled this thinking. You know, everyone talked about. Donald Trump, you know, well, at least he was surrounded by adults who, who, who would push him back from his his, uh, his worst instincts. In fact, what Donald Trump did is he surrounded himself with people who disagreed with him on things, like, like for a period of time for uh, John Bolton and other people, and he actually listened to the generals. When the way He wanted to pull all of our troops out of Afghanistan, but generals told him if it's you true. do that, it'll be a disaster, and so he left 2,500 troops. He, he would push the envelope, but if people came to him and said, laid out the consequences, he would listen. Joe Biden, where are the adults in the room that everybody, all, the, all the elites in Washington were praising under, on the Trump administration? There are no adults in the room. Joe Biden is not only left to follow his worst instincts. He is actually enabled and encouraged by the people surrounding him to do stupid things.
2: Where is you know? the secretary of defense, Mark? Where is with the vice president? We don't want to hear from, but, you know, vice presidents like Mike Pence and, you know, Al Gore, these guys were part of the decisions. Uh, you yeah. know, don't tell me Dick Cheney wasn't part of a the decision. They make himself available, do some interviews, put out some fires, whatever you want to do. But we're seeing Jake Sullivan scared to death, never disagreed with the president's move. Ned Price never disagreed with the president's move. Ron Klain behind the president's move. The ones that disagreed was Millie Austin and everyone in Intel. I had a pretty good source that told me that Gina Haspel was so angry that the Intel was getting blamed that she almost was tempted to to call a press conference. Now they're answering back through the Washington Post and New York Times. This is as bad as I've ever seen it.
3: It, It's the worst foreign policy decision of my lifetime. And if you, and I just, I tell you, know what, what Leon Panetta was saying about how this is going to be a, the the, the jihad, look what happened in Iraq when we pulled out and ISIS came back. It was seen as a defeat for America. ISIS reemerged, and thousands and thousands and thousands of jihadis from all over the world came to Iraq to, to join the caliphate, to rise up. They spread terror cells to 29 countries. They carried out attacks across Europe. They carried attacks across the world. And if you don't think that that's going to happen in Afghanistan, that the, 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 this, is, this is more significant than Iraq because Afghanistan, they've gotten back the home base. From which they carried out the worst attack on America in in our nation's history. This is they've gotten back their their old safe haven. This is it's not only a sign of strength for them; it is a sign of of resilience that they have come back, that they waited us out. And I will tell you one last thing, Brian. KSM predicted this. KSM Jim Mitchell is a good friend of mine. He was he was the guy who interrogated uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed at the CIA black site, he t- he tells the story in his book that when he was sitting down with KSM in his cell one day just talking, and KSM looked at him and he said, Jim, what you Americans don't understand is that we will defeat you because we do not have to defeat you. This is a direct quote from KSM. We do not have to defeat you militarily. We only have to fight long enough for you to defeat yourselves by quitting. That is a quote from Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed predicted this day would come. And it's happening on the 20th anniversary of September 11, 2001. And the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the successors of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, are going to be gathering in the caves of Afghanistan and planning the next attack. And if you think 9/11 was the worst thing that could happen to this country, you're wrong. And Mark, look at the pandemic. You know what you can? Uh,
2: everything you said is correct and a great perspective on what's next. You know what I'm worried about today, and I know you are too. We have Gen Saki could not commit. To getting every American out of Afghanistan. Oh my God! And nor nor did she put America as a priority. We have other allies, assets. We have other uh, people in Afghanistan that work. With, excuse me. It's America first. That is not just a slogan for President Trump. That should be imbued in her DNA. Why wouldn't you ni- instinctively answer? Of course, we're going to make a, every American's got to get out of there, even if it means past your so-called end date, we August thirtieth.
3: Choose. We shouldn't be in a position where we're having to choose between America and its allies. We should have had a competent mission that could get everybody out who needed to get out. The fact that, we have to, that we're even in a position of, of not, one, not being able to guarantee that we'll get every American out, and two, that we might be able to get, have to choose between allies you know, and, and, and Americans in that situation is horrible. It's a, it's a sign of incompetence. And the idea that you know anyone who says that, this, that, this, that they were not caught by surprise by this, you don't send 6,000 troops back into a country that you are withdrawing 2,500 troops from unless you catastrophically failed in your mission. There, was, there should have been no reason to have and, – and the reason is simple. Why, you know, why the hell did we give up Bagram Air Base?
2: Makes why, no sense. why on
3: earth would you voluntarily have evacuated Bagram Air Base before you got every American out of the country?
2: What the hell are these people thinking? And not only that, they emptied the prisons at the airbase. They emptied the prisons of the whole country. So yeah, the worst you know, the, the of the worst— They're already
3: there. You know, they don't have to come from the rest of the Middle East. We've released them from prison. They're there. Al-Qaeda is, is back. I, I and, here, just, and here's another thing, Brian. Yeah, The people who draw distinctions between the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are absolutely ignorant. Okay? So in, when Osama bin Laden was alive— Every al-Qaeda terrorist in the world had to pledge bayat to Osama bin Laden, right? Bayat is an oath of loyalty. Osama bin Laden pledged bayat to Mullah Omar, the leader of the Taliban. Al-Qaeda is subservient to the Taliban. They take orders from the Taliban. The Taliban is ahead of them in the in the in the rank uh, in, the, in the in the in the chain of command. Bin Laden was not the leader of the Islamic movement, Mullah Omar was. He obeyed Mullah Omar. So the Taliban is not just they were just they're not peripheral to the 9/11 attack. They are they were the people who who harbored and 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 allowed and and encouraged the attacks of September 11, 2001. So don't make any distinctions between these two organizations. They are they they Bin Laden worked for the Taliban. That's an important piece of uh, that, that Lastly,
2: happened. Mark, just last question. Today at 4:30, the President of the United States is going to come out and talk about a booster shot on COVID-19 fight. Does he really think we're going to take the eye or our attention off this ball? Does he really think it's business as usual?
3: They think, they think we're going to let the, this, is good. They're, we're going to forget this, this will blow over. They, they, they're counting on it. They're going to, they're going to try and move on. Uh, this cannot. First of all, this won't blow over because the disasters and the images are going to get worse and worse and worse. And second of all, because it did, did Iraq blow over a few weeks after the withdrawal? No, because there's going to be images of beheadings. Gotcha. There's going to be images of people being burned alive. There's going to be images of this kind of stuff. And the jihadis are going to, I'm telling you, they're coming for us. Mark they're
2: Thiessen coming for us. Uh, on 9-11, 20 years from 9-11. Uh, what is he thinking? Is he thinking? Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Uh, he's, uh, you know what Mark is. Washington Post columnist. Uh, keep up with him here, Fox News contributor. When we come back, your calls, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 7669
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom.
1: a talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: Will U.S. troops stay until everyone is out, or will they leave?
2: So I'm not going to comment on hypotheticals. What I'm going to do is stay focused on the task at hand, which is getting as many people out as rapidly as possible, and we will take that day by day. Take it day by day? I can't commit to getting every American out? You should be ashamed of yourself. You should walk back to your office and find out most of your stuff's in
8: box...
2: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what
8: we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
2: That's Jake Sullivan. You can't get every American out. In war, we have people sacrificed to get American bodies out, risking their own lives to get remains. And you can't get our people out who are civilians because you decide to pull out. Got this email from uh, Glenn. Glenn writes, "The fact that Biden is trying to blame Trump for the Afghan abortion is to prove that Biden doesn't have a clue about being president. If Biden needed to have a third grader's understanding of the power of the Oval Office, then he should have known he could that he could change whatever. If he was in uh, Jill Biden's class, she would give Biden an F minus. He is pathetic." And right now, I just think it's very interesting, and I'm very frustrated because I told you people would care about Afghanistan when Kabul fell, and it fell, and now everybody cares. They say in a morning console poll that the people that wanted the pre- they wanted the president to pull our troops out of Afghanistan has dropped 20 points in three days. For Only 49% of the country right now wants them to pull out. When they see how hard it is to get our people out, and maybe if the worst is yet to come... Uh, I don't know how Joe Biden finishes four years.
8: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one on one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: We need President Biden standing up and saying, no, America is not in decline. We're going we're gonna to go win this thing. This is Reagan talked about we win, they lose. This is a we win, they lose moment with the Chinese Communist Party. And we have to go seize it and focus all of our energies, commercial energies, diplomatic energies, the energy of making sure our military structure and strategy is correct, in every space, whether that is missile systems, space systems, cyber systems, all uh, AI, technology, all of the systems, the medical community, the technology that surrounds biotech, we have to make sure and harness the American brain power, the American know-how, and the American energy to go crush them. We can. I'm convinced of it.
2: Uh, that is Mike Pompeo talking optimistically about the challenge of China. Does he have a right to be that optimistic? Uh, well, if he was in power, I would be more optimistic. Vivek Ram- uh, Ramaswamy joins us now, biotech entrepreneur, author of Woke Inc., Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam. You've seen him all over uh, the channel, and he's got this special that aired Sunday. is great. I was lucky enough to participate in it. And on Fox Nation, the extended version, you'll like it even more. Uh, Vivek, welcome back.
4: Good to talk to you, Brian. How you doing?
2: Um, well, I'm doing a lot better before Joe Biden decided he had a great idea with Afghanistan, I cannot quantify the amount of damage done to us and how China has been bolstered by this. They're not looking to dominate Afghanistan. I get that. But what are they trying to do now with their messaging as we leave that place a total mess?
4: Well, look, I do think, Brian, we need to keep our eye on the real ball here. The real threat over the long run is not from the Taliban. It is absolutely from China. And they were the ones who were advantaged most by our exit because – Look at the lesson they take away from now what's going to happen when they invade Taiwan. They can expect the same sort of moral standing that allows them to do it because the United States allowed the entrance of the Taliban to take over Kabul to happen you know, in a bloodless way and in a way that embarrassed America. So they are not only laughing at us. They're seizing on the opportunity. And I think the scariest part about it, Brian, was one of the things that we didn't talk about a ton. It was the fact that corporate America turned its back On America, even as the Taliban took over, right? Twitter allowed the Taliban to continue to keep tweeting, even as the 45th president of the United States remains banned from the platform, we can expect the exact same thing when China inevitably invades Taiwan. And I can tell you today, mark my words, big corporates in America will continue to criticize the United States while continuing to aid and abet China implicitly by staying silent or even praising them as they go take take over the the Taiwanese island.
2: So China in particular feels as though they could sell America the rope we would hang ourselves with because our love of the dollar. Are they still trying to take advantage of that more than ever?
4: They are taking advantage of it more than ever because they have more money and more economic power than ever. And our big mistake, Brian, was in the last 30 years, we had a flawed policy of democratic capitalism, and it spanned both the Clinton administration, the Bush administration. This wasn't a partisan issue. We thought that we could use our money to get them to be more like us. They have turned that on its head. They are now using their money to get us to be more like them by turning our own corporations into Trojan horses to undermine us within. They roll out the red carpet to companies that criticize and undermine the United States, so long as those same companies do not criticize the CCP. And I am sorry to say it is working. And that is what makes this Cold War different than our Cold War with the Soviet Union, because the USSR did not exercise the economic power and control over our own very American corporations while they were in Cold War with us. You could have never imagined Ford saying about the USSR in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, what Disney or Nike are saying about China today, even as they criticize the United States, that's the difference.
2: Because they want to be able to sell their stuff there. They want to be able to sell their movies there. They want to be able to sell their amusement parks there. And then Nike calls exactly. himself a China company. I want you to hear what Jamie Dimon told Maria Bartiromo a couple of weeks ago. And I I could not believe that he was trying to sell us that he is a patriot. Listen. I'd say about 15 years ago, the business community and the government— should have started focusing in China, and we didn't. Not because we were bad, just people were kind of happy, they thought that China would, get, you know, would, would change over time, and they didn't, and we should have focused on it, and now we are. So I think the right thing to do is they are a strategic competitor. Uh, they, they are you know, using unfair subsidies in some cases, try to win in global you know, markets and stuff like that, and we should have proper policies. We can do them unilaterally, they could do them unilaterally. I don't think you see a decoupling, I think you see, you've already seen most of a massive restructuring. And he went on to say, "I'm fine with having a J.P. Morgan Chase China bureau, uh, a China uh, uh, outlet, because even though you can't trust their accounting, even though you know they're stealing technology, even though uh, they pride themselves on doing all that, uh, the financial industry can now have access there. So he's going to take advantage of it because he has an obligation to his shareholders."
4: Well, you know, it's funny because he also spouts share with stakeholders smoke screens here in the United States pretending like he cares about social justice, dramatically bending his knee to stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter while he doesn't do a thing about true human rights atrocities in China because he knows where his future bread is buttered. And I will tell you, there's a funny story I tell in my book, Brian, about an interaction I had with Jamie Dimon where I was at a dinner with an elite group of founders who were invited to have dinner with with Jamie Dimon at a founder's forum. And somebody raised their hand and asks him, hey, Jamie, would you ever want to run for president? Because he was spouting off about one issue after the other. And he said, well, of course I would want to be president. I just wouldn't want to run for president. And to me, that epitomizes and captures exactly what the essence of this charade is all about. These guys want to exercise quasi-political power for their own gain without actual democratic accountability. And Jamie Dimon is a master of that. It's part of why I call it the woke industrial complex in the book. It's not one actor, Brian. It is a Combination of the new progressive left merged with big business, the Chinese Communist Party now getting in on that, turning that into a three-party affair, and that cabal allows everybody to wet their beak. Woke activists, nonprofits, big business, the CCP, the real people left holding the bag are the American people and American democracy itself. And, and I think this is actually one of – you know, I mean, part of the reason I wrote the book is this is actually one of the first books that talks – I think it's the first one – that talks about the geopolitical effect of this woke agenda. It undermines us and our ability to exercise our moral standing on the global stage. Even if you take a look at what happened in Afghanistan this week, I actually think the lesson applies there, too, where the one thing that would have stopped this catastrophe from happening is if the Taliban had a true fear of total decimation if they reneged on their prior agreements. Yet they knew that Joe Biden would never make good on that back-end threat because – He is constantly self-critical of the United States itself in a way that undermines our moral authority to carry out in a strong way precisely in the moments that we need it most. And so I think the way in which this woke agenda and this woke capitalist agenda is undermining our country from within has far-reaching geopolitical consequences that we are only beginning to understand right now. We saw a little bit of an Afghanistan this week, and I fear we will see even more on the day that China invades Taiwan.
2: Uh, yeah, and it's got to stop. We better have a war uh, war plan there. The fact that they came out with a statement the day that we left, and that the Taliban took mm-hmm. over, they came out with a statement that said, "Taiwan, look, America doesn't back you. They don't. Ta- they don't care about their allies." But don't worry, we're sending the vice president into the region to talk to our allies. That'll make everything yeah, better. I'm sure
4: she's going to be very. I'm sure she's going be very persuasive, like she is on every other point. Absolutely, like she's yeah. A, she's a, an, an ambassador doing ambassador so, of the United yeah. States. Right. She's going to I Vietnam. Look to her discussing. Maybe she'll discuss systemic racism with the Afghans and and self-criticize the United States and ask to learn something about the Taliban. Who knows?
2: So uh, part of – and by the way, going to Vietnam right now, it just shows how ridiculously tone-deaf she is uh, when we're trying to – they're trying to forget about the Saigon moment. We got worse. Uh, Vivek, you graduated from Harvard, and you talk about one of your columns that you actually joined Goldman Sachs. You said you fell for their trick. And you said that all this stuff that they talk about helping out social justice and helping out the environment is all lip service. And you you illustrate a story that instead of having a you know uh, instead of having a, a a picnic or instead of you guys having a Christmas party, you decide to do something for the environment. And you talk about p- planting a tree and cleaning up a park. When did you realize this was all window dressing?
4: I realized it was all window dressing when I showed up at that park in Harlem back in two thousand six and all of my colleagues were doing everything but planting trees. The head of the group was nowhere to be found. He shows up an hour late in a slim fit suit and Gucci boots and tells everybody to take some pictures and get out of there. And so when everyone went to a bar and started drinking afterward, I turned to one of the older colleagues and I said, hey, look, if we wanted to have a social day, we should just call it that instead of calling it service day. And he taught me something in return. He said, hey, listen, have you ever heard of the golden rule? And I said, of course I had. The golden rule is you treat others like you want to be treated. And he said, no, the golden rule is that he who has the gold makes the rules. And I called it the Goldman rule ever since. And what I see today is the Goldman rule on steroids, where Goldman Sachs can go now to the mountaintops of Davos and declare that it will not take a company public in the United States unless that company comports with Goldman's standards for diversity. And I assure you, they do not mean ideological diversity. They are using, and not just Goldman Sachs, but every company like them is using and abusing their power in the market, now exercising that as a weapon in the marketplace of ideas. And it's a denial of what American democracy is all about. It is the use of force to substitute for free speech and open debate. And ironically, in the name of concepts like diversity and democracy, we have actually sacrificed true diversity of thought and a true democracy of ideas. But That's you a big part of what I talk about in the book. Uh,
2: and Vivek, and by the way, the book is Woke Inc. Uh, Vivek, uh, uh, Vivek, I also think it's important to point out that there's a chance these this party called the Republicans will win. If you really go and dig in and go to bed with Democrats, knowing the House could be lost, uh, should be lost in 2022, and maybe even the Senate in 2024 with a good candidate and a good campaign, that too, especially if Joe Biden continues to be the catastrophe he is, Aren't there – isn't there a fear with corporate America, with Wall Street, that they'll end up on the wrong side?
4: Well, you know what? I don't know that they have that fear, Brian, because I don't know that a Republican winning is the right solution. I mean it depends on which Republican and who wins, actually, because historically the left the, – the corporate America, excuse me, has had a great mechanism for controlling the Republican Party. It's called money. They place their alumni in the seat of U.S. Treasury Secretary. They make corporate contributions. That generally works pretty well. The problem for them, quote unquote, problem for corporate America was the newly ascendant woke left, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, et cetera. They may not have responded to money and to influence in the same way. That's when they started tithing at the Temple of Identity Politics. In fact, that Goldman announcement that I told you about from Davos was made at a time when Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were the frontrunners in the Democratic primary. So I'm not sure that a Republican automatically is going to fix the problem, because a lot of Republicans will simply join the same corporatist agenda under a different stripe. What you really need is somebody who's committed to restoring the voice of every American, of every citizen as an equal participant in our democracy, and while I think the Democratic Party has been bought in a different way under a different currency, I think the question of which Republican or what it even means to be Republican is very much on the table in a way that that will determine whether or not that is actually a solution that makes a difference in 2024 or not.
2: I remember I used to be telling people uh, when I talk about bias in the media, they go, where? And I used to have to point out there was subtleties in everything the New York Times wrote the Washington Post, right? And what uh, Peter Jennings would say and Dan Rather would say, the subtlety's gone. Now they've all in. Kevin McCarthy sat down with you. He could be the next Speaker of the House to talk about what he's witnessing for your special on Woke Inc., which is on Fox Nation, Cut 39. We know that we're not a perfect nation, but we strive to be a more perfect nation. We knew we had to make great strides when it comes to civil rights and others. But it's almost like we went back to the Dark Ages. You would not think that political beliefs would have divided us. But now it's divided us so far. This is the problem. It's not government using it. It's those in government that are fostering ability. Why is the Democratic Party more socialist today than it was before? They're using that funding to fund their philosophy and grow it. Do you think Kevin understands the problem the way you do?
4: I think he understands the problem. I think the question is whether he's going to actually do something about it. And I pushed him on that on the the show, on the special. I told him, look, I think that protection of political belief ought to be high on the Republican agenda, where right now companies are using their market power to fire employees who defect from their orthodoxy, and I think that's wrong. And if we're going to have protected classes at all in this country, which I think then we can debate to say that maybe we trust the market to do everything right. But if we don't trust the market to do everything right and we can't discriminate in the base of race or sex or religion or national origin, then I think you should not be able to discriminate against somebody on account of their political beliefs either. And on the special, he definitely expressed agreement with me. I think what I'd like to see from Republicans though is some greater teeth in standing for the unique challenges that we face in 2021, rather than just reciting some slogan that they memorized back in 1980. And we've got two wings in in the Republican party right now, Brian, one is, a wing that would pretend to recite those same slogans, something like the free market can do no wrong, without recognizing that the free market that they idealized doesn't exist today, and pretending like the castle of capitalism all is well and they just have to defend it from the front door from old big government… And then you have another wing that says, okay, we recognize that that castle has been infested by the Chinese Communist Party, by the woke movement, but they say we want to burn the whole thing down. And I think the thing that's going to be the defining challenge of the future conservative movement is how we sterilize that castle of capitalism but without burning the whole thing down. And I'm, I'm interested to see leaders step up to that occasion, and I'm not sure that we have a party that's yet stepped up to that plate.
2: Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, uh, biotech entrepreneur, author of Woke Inc., Inside Corporate America, Social Justice Scam. The book is out now, doing exceedingly well. The special, the extended version, if you missed it on Sunday, is on Fox Nation, another reason to get that uh, great app. Uh, Vivek, thanks so much.
4: Thank
1: you, Brian. Talk
2: to you. All right, when we come back, I see the calls up there, one 408 7669
1: Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian
8: Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: China economic interests in Afghanistan, and they are looking to protect those. But uh, what's driving these warming ties between China and the Taliban is security. Uh, China fears extremism in the western part of the country, in Xinjiang. It's uh, how they have justified uh, the crackdowns and detention of hundreds of thousands of Uyghurs. At those meetings with Wang Yi, the Taliban did give security assurances and saying that Afghan territory was would not be used as a base for attacks inside China. The problem, of course, for China is that the success of a radical militant group in taking over a country is seen as a threatening force. And there's also uh, concerns and risk of uh, the so-called inspiration effect that a Taliban resurgence could have across the region. So at this point, Andrea, the Taliban or uh, China is not Giving outright recognition to the Taliban as the legitimate government of Afghanistan, but they are acknowledging that the Taliban is in power. And with that comes cautious support from China, and it's one of the few countries to extend that.
2: Unbelievable. I'm sure Russia will be next. Uh, Joe, listen on WRC on Long Island. Hey, Joe.
7: Brian, good morning. Listen,
10: your coverage has been tremendous on this uh, Thank you. Afghanistan. And I watched that walking. I just want to say it was incredible the other night, that uh, it, that's special. And I seen you out of Montauk walking on the catwalk, so I was jealous there. But listen, leaving Americans behind enemy lines to be murdered, that's not new to the old Biden regime. Remember Benghazi? They watched on live feed when Biden was vice president, and those Americans were murdered there. And you got the same players in there, Susan Rice, Wasserman Schilt, uh, uh, uh who else? Clinton, Hillary Clinton. I'm sure she's in the Now, if you want to fundamentally transform America, you do exactly what Biden is doing. Why? I wanted the troops home. I wanted them home. But why wouldn't you get the civilians out? You had the million-dollar question. Who could be that incompetent? And I think it's the puppet masters, Biden's puppet masters, Farrakhan, uh, Soros, Sharpton, Obama. Why, they're pulling the strings. Why would you do this? Do they want the refugees to come in? I mean, what are they going to do? Elon Omar, are they going to send in social workers to talk to the Taliban? Remember what uh, Obama said years ago? Oh, we just got to give them—they're just looking for jobs, Al-Qaeda, the terrorists. Why didn't we pull the 100,000 uh, civilians and and Americans out before the last soldier left, Brian? It's That's
2: so Joe, it's unbelievable, and military men are saying the same thing. It's up for the Defense Department to go explain themselves. Now, I don't care who the president is. Uh, Thanks, Joe. I hear your frustration.
8: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts
1: Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. The Brian Kilmeade Show, bottom of the hour. uh, One of the deepest thinkers, most interesting broadcasters and best-selling authors out there today. Brad uh, Brad Meltzer will be here live. He's host of uh, Lost History on H2 and author of a series of books that are helping uh, keep American history on the straight and narrow and fight this new war in history we're witnessing Uh, He's the host of uh, the Fox Nation series, Brad Meltzer's Greatest Conspiracies of All Time. So Brad's going to be with us, and we're going to put this moment in American history, try to put that in perspective. But now, let's get to the Big Three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. Here you have Andrew Cuomo, who may or may not be a made member of the mafia, La Cosa Nostra, telling you that he suddenly knows more about COVID than practicing nurses and physicians. He's telling them what to do. He's giving them a medical mandate. It's purely about obedience. It's hardly about medicine.
2: And it's just the beginning, third shot. That's what President Biden will announce today. Americans, America's need to fight the China virus. We know that. And now mass mania is coming back. Mandate mania is coming back, I should say, with idiotic new heights. By the way, why don't we ever hear about COVID treatments? When you get it, mild symptoms, what do we do? Big symptoms, what do we do? Wait to be hospitalized. That's not acceptable. Number two.
11: He also said we were prepared for every contingency, including a very rapid deterioration. He said yesterday they were prepared for this. Well, if this is being prepared for something, I'd like to know what not being prepared looks like.
2: And that is Mike Morrell, former acting director of the CIA, who used to brief President Bush. Uh, as well as President Obama uh, uh, for the CIA, and the intel agencies are fighting back against being accused of tanking the Afghanistan war.
5: Number one. Our message remains for American citizens and for others who have expressed interest uh, in relocation out of Afghanistan. Shelter in place until and unless you receive a communication from the U.S. Embassy.
2: This is unbelievable, right? Right. Shelter in place? You're an American civilian in Afghanistan? Getting worse. Thousands of Americans are stuck in Afghanistan. Roads to the airport are blocked. For those outside the capital, arteries to Kabul are blocked. What do we do now? Why did the military leave before civilians? Why do the Taliban have American weapons? Where is the Secretary of Defense? Where is the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Where is the President and Vice President? Not in front of the camera, I'll tell you that. America is demanding answers. I know I am. So yesterday we find out tens of thousands of Americans are caught in Afghanistan. Bad enough in Kabul when the Taliban start ringing and harassing those going to the airport. Bad enough the embassy is closed. But what about those who are doing work or happen to be or serving the country or helping the now former government of Afghanistan? How do they get back? We don't know. We're just now putting in 3,500 troops, supposed to have 5,000 troops, should cap up at 7,000 troops. This from an administration that didn't want to put 2,000 troops in. Are we going to walk down the streets and reclaim them and escort our people back? It'll make our men and women very vulnerable. Ned Price on what Americans should do. Uh, He is a key staffer, National security, with President Biden. Cut one.
5: At the moment, we are doing everything we can uh, to allow civilians to be able to transit uh, to the airport. Uh, Our message remains for American citizens and for others who have expressed interest uh, in relocation out of Afghanistan. Shelter in place until and unless you receive a communication from the U.S. Embassy.
2: Should have said State Department spokesperson. Shelter in place. Thanks very much. Uh, So uh, the best way you can help me is to leave me in this hellhole. Fantastic. Do you know I'm an American? Doesn't matter. So Jen Psaki was asked by some concerned—by the way, reporters are actually doing their job—for the first time in maybe six years. I am not exaggerating. I could turn on another channel and learn something. Instead of what a bad person Donald Trump is and how fantastic Obama is and how many people were invited to his party and how many people aren't getting vaccinated because they're selfish and how many anchors are not telling other people to get vaccinated— and it makes you wonder, no longer makes you wonder why they get no ratings. I'm actually watching other channels, and um, and I'm not going to name names, but they're actually asking real questions. And I think part of it is many of their colleagues are caught behind enemy lines. And many of their friends and sources are caught behind enemy lines. And you cannot turn away from the catastrophe, the worst in American history, I believe. The worst. So Jen Psaki was asked a very simple question. Are you committed— Will you guarantee that Americans get out of Afghanistan? Cut three.
0: Can you offer any guarantee to
7: the Americans and Afghan allies that if they remain there past the end of the month, U.S. troops will help them evacuate. Well, like, that's the end of the month. We
12: our our focus right now is uh, undoing the work at hand and on the task at hand, and that is day by day getting as many American citizens, as many SIV applicants, as many members of a vulnerable population who are eligible to be evacuated to the airport and out on planes. Uh, so that that is where we will keep our efforts.
2: I was astounded because I saw the headline. I said, "Well, they've got to be maybe just trying to get clicks." Is that astounding to you? This is a very simple thing. I would not to be to be brief. You don't have to tell me any details. Jen Psaki pulled off vacation to go ahead because the president was going on vacation. Why not let Jen go on vacation? But when the president came back for one day, went back and they'll come back again. Sorry about that, Mr. President. I know you really need to relax. She should be able to answer that with any brief. Of course. So, you know, if it means us staying a few extra days to get a civilian out of Afghanistan, a place we occupied for 20 years and basically paid for their government, they now have our weapons, but man, they'll never take our security with our superior military. She couldn't even do that. And you're not going out on a limb to say that. She also wouldn't comment on how it feels to a former Taliban five the five exchange for Bo Bergdahl a man that was considered by intelligence experts too dangerous to release, who they released under Barack Obama when Joe Biden was vice president, uh, now playing a key role in the new Taliban administration. In fact, two overall Gitmo prisoners are released during those days. So uh, we don't have much leverage. And we know this. The intel agencies were tired of being thrown under the bus. And as predicted by Mike Morrell on this show, they're speaking out through the Washington Post uh, and through other outlets. The State Department's making it clear they told... President Biden and his staff, this could happen. In classified assessments, classified assessments the New York Times have changed, uh, has obtained these documents. Uh, they say American spy agency over the summer painted an increasingly grim picture of the prospect of a Taliban takeover Afghanistan and warned of the rapid collapse of the Afghan military. Even as President Biden and his advisors said publicly, that was unlikely. So either they're the dumbest people in the world, and that sadly could be the case, or they are very comfortable lying to you. By July, I go on, many intel reports grew more pessimistic, questioning whether any Afghan security forces would muster serious resistance and whether the government could hold on to Kabul. Now, if that's your assessment by intel agencies that like you so much more than Donald Trump, they have to be telling the truth. Why would you on July 6th say something totally the opposite? Does... That the 78-year-old Joe Biden, the former lifeguard, taking on corn pop, think he knows more than the NSA, the CIA, and the FBI, and every did the, the and everybody else. They go on the drumbeat of warnings over the summer, raised questions about why the president and military planners in Afghanistan in Afghanistan seemed ill prepared to deal with the Taliban. No kidding. One report in July. As dozens of Afghan districts were falling and Taliban fighters were laying siege to several major cities, laid out the growing risks in Kabul, noting that the Afghan government was unprepared for a Taliban assault. That, according to one person familiar with the intelligence briefing. So you know what they're doing? I think you get it. They're saying, I-, I watched this happen. We see what's taking place. We told him it would happen. How dare he say we were surprised by the speed... And weren't expecting this result. How dare he say this is not like Saigon 1975. It's worse. How dare the Anthony Blinken say this wouldn't be a situation where a Friday to Monday. It was actually Friday to Sunday in which a capital fell. So I don't see the secretary of defense. Reports are he wanted 4,000 troops to stay there. But that doesn't mean you did, you don't plan. So the president, and we'll talk to Jack Keene on this show about this, the president has one idea, you have a different idea. Then you have to implement and advise the president on that idea. Did you tell him we got the problem with leaving Kabul and turning it over to Bagram Air Base and turning it over to the Afghan government? What if we lose it? The problem is if we lose it, then we lose the prisoners. The problem is if we lose it and we're losing province after province, we lose all our hardware, including some of these very elite Humvees. And an Air Force, which thankfully most of which, including Blackhawks, were flown to other countries uh, by the pilots as our Air Force, instead of bombing, the Afghan Air Force, instead of bombing, ran for the hills. So they knew it. It, Don't say it's a failure. There might be some nuance around the corner where they didn't predict it, but they knew it. And if you're going to ignore it, own up to it. Don't own up to it, Mr. President, but then still blame the intel and say everybody was surprised. I don't want to take too much time. Way from Chiron Skinner, former director of policy planning for the State Department and senior policy advisor uh, to Mike Pompeo, because I want to get and get to the bottom of the other thing that President Biden has said. He said, Well, the the Trump administration boxed me in. This was a the deal they had in place. They want him out May first. I actually extended to August 30th. So I'm like a hero here. The truth is it was conditions based. The truth is they were warned if you take these provinces, if you try to take Kabul, the deal is off. We'll bomb you to oblivion. It was true that Ghani was going to be negotiated right out of business. That coward left with all the money, and they say is now in United Arab Emirates. I want the money back. There's one area in which we have leverage. I'll go over it. But to say it's disturbing is to not give uh, it—there's no words. There's no words. And at 4.30, President Biden's going to come out, and he's going to—well, Eastern time, he's going to come out and say— I got news about COVID-19. The battle continues to rage, and I'm very concerned about Texas and Florida because the governors uh, are a a political threat to me. And I'm very concerned about the hospital. So, therefore, I am now going to announce everyone's got to get a booster shot. Uh, Not only is that unacceptable, I'm not accepting. I'm not going to go run and get another booster shot. Not only am I not doing that, I will not get off this topic. The president wants us to move on. Do not let him move on. Back in a moment
1: expanding your knowledge base it's brian kilmeade
8: from the fox news podcasts network download and listen to the untold story with martha mccallum the host of the story on fox news channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
1: if you're interested in it brian's talking about it you're with brian kilmeade
2: we made a deal with the taliban over 18 months ago in an agreement with him and also with the ghani government going forward and we were very clear about it the last gate for withdrawal and we would leave 2500 troops in place with 3500 paramilitary under Gina haspel the cias plus the allies there plus the air power there until we had an agreement and an agreement WAS A RECONCILIATION GOVERNMENT, A PEACE TREATY GOING FORWARD. SO WE WERE GOING TO ENSURE THAT. UNTIL THOSE CONDITIONS WERE MET, WE WEREN'T MOVING. WE TOLD Ghani THAT, BUT MORE IMPORTANTLY, DONALD TRUMP PICKED UP THE PHONE AND CALLED THE CHIEF NEGOTIATOR FOR THE TALIBAN, Mullah Baradar, AND TOLD HIM, IF YOU SCREW THIS DEAL UP, WE KNOW WHERE YOU LIVE AND WE'RE GOING TO COME AFTER YOU. AND BECAUSE OF THAT, FOR THE LAST 18 MONTHS, NOT A SINGLE AMERICAN SOLDIER had been killed in Afghanistan. Ky- uh, Kyron Skinner joins us now. That was General Kellogg, who worked with the Trump administration, especially with Vice President Pence. Former Director of Policy Planning is Kyron Skinner. Uh, she joins us now from the State Department. She was with the State Department and Senior Policy Advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Kyron, welcome back. I think people need to know the difference between the Trump deal and the Biden deal because they keep pointing fingers at you guys.
13: Um, you're absolutely right. And it's even, I think, bigger than the Trump um, ta- um, uh, Taliban deal and the Trump approach to Afghanistan. It was the worldview um, of the Trump administration regarding not just Afghanistan, but the rest of the world. President Trump harkened back to Ronald Reagan's idea of peace through strength. And that's what attracted me to his presidential campaign in 2016, Earlier um, in this new century, I'd done a number of books on Reagan's writings, and I was struck by the fact that um, at the height of U.S.-Soviet detente in the 1970s, when all of the foreign policy elites said, the Soviet Union is here to stay, we have to accommodate them, we have to accommodate the Chinese, based on the Nixon-Kissinger deal, Ronald Reagan comes along, this California politician and former actor, and said, no, you. in order to get peace, you have to have strength. That's what Trump moved through the world with as president. And the minute he left office, there was a different theory of the case, and this is where we are now in Afghanistan. But in, Af- but in Afghanistan beginning.
2: specifically, uh, would you guys have pulled out by May? Uh, Would you have been told, were you going to get the civilians out first? How were you going to do that?
13: We would not have done what happened here. Um, The president was also flexible. If we had to stay longer, we would have stayed longer. But we would not have left our diplomats and their families um, and other civilians um, to be potentially hurt very badly, if not killed, by the Taliban um, other foreign fighters and forces. That's not how the Trump administration viewed the world. That's not the way that it the, um, would have acted. And, um, you know, Trump has said recently, do you miss me yet? Um, I think he's making a point.
2: Hugh Cash Patel, former Pentagon chief of staff on the, ga- on the game plan you guys drew up, came fourteen.
14: They failed to prepare and plan like we did under President Trump. We prepared to secure our interests. We prepared for the withdrawal of people and personnel. And we prepared to prop up a joint government with the Afghans and the, and the uh, Taliban. But what President Biden failed to do was listen to the intelligence from career officers. He politicized the Afghan withdrawal and instead listened to the mainstream media while taking naps at Camp David.
2: So he is uh, very uh, frustrated, obviously. What leverage do we have now? I mean, they got $9 billion in reserves as a country, but the money left the country. It's in their national treasury with their former treasury minister. And right now, the Taliban only has access to 0.1 percent of it. Can we hold that over their heads?
13: Um, perhaps for a while. But, you know, with narco-trafficking, with their ability to, to tax um, you know, heroin sales, um, there are lots of ways that they can pull the levers of the economy and government. And that's so troub- troubling. And that's what I really – I want to go back to what Cash Patel said. I did have the opportunity um, to engage with him when I was in the administration. I was both at state and the Defense Department. Um, Just a really tragic – the way that intelligence has been politicized by this administration and its inability um, to really have a contingency plan the way that Cash described we were planning – Um, in the Trump administration. Afghanistan is an incredibly hard problem. Um, You can't just go in one direction. You have to rival hypothesize and have many alternatives. It appears that this administration did none of that. It's actually shocking, given um, the number of decades that Um, Joe Biden has been in Washington, he should have known better. Perhaps that's the problem. Yeah,
2: I don't even think we should have left our embassy. Just just secure the embassy. Russia didn't leave. China didn't leave.
13: There was a rush to leave the country on the belief, as the president said in July, that the Afghan security forces can take care of, of this country. They're strong in number. They're strong in will. It turned out that both things weren't true. Um, and there wasn't a real a realization that the Afghan government itself, um, reeked by um, corruption, needed a lot of assistance. Gotcha. The Trump well, plan was so much better. And the, it well, anything had to be better. It,
2: a, a child, a, a child's uh, kindergarten project would have been more uh, amenable. Chiron uh, Skinner, thanks so much. Brad Melter joins us next to put this in perspective and talk about winning the war on history.
1: that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Welcome back, everybody. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Be able to take some calls shortly, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, watching the series of events taking place overseas and none of it's good. It looks as though... Uh, American forces did fire on a crowd, not on a crowd, but over the heads of a crowd that was getting out of control in the airport as thousands, American citizens, some, uh, and those allied to Americans and those just fearful of the Taliban are rushing to the airport to try to get out of a country we decided to abandon. It was almost 20 years ago when 9-11 happened historic moment that we responded for and we mobilized for and we took Afghanistan in a matter of weeks. The Northern Alliance were in the front. The CIA was behind. The 82nd Airborne would eventually land, but we would not be able to get bin Laden. We'd get him years later. Uh, Al-Qaeda's presence would be diminished, but they are coming back in droves. Brad Meltzer spends most of his time looking back and putting the American history in workable, readable forms. Best-selling author, Uh, He's the host of The Lost History on H2, History Channel 2, and author of books, uh, A New Day. I am Frida Kylo and the host of a Fox Nation series, uh, Brad Melter's Greatest Conspiracies of All Time. And Brad has wrote a series of children's books to uh, make his effort to win the war on history, which sadly is under attack today. Brad, welcome back.
14: Uh, Good to hear your voice, my friend.
2: Brad, I wouldn't imagine. You know, it uh, wouldn't surprise me if one day you wrote a book about nine eleven, how we've come, where, where we've come since. If you did, you'd have to start all over again because uh, we have a, or have to put an additional chapter on it. Because I never thought coming into year twenty that we'd be talking about the Taliban back in control of Afghanistan. Uh,
14: listen, especially to me, you know, as you know, uh, five years ago I helped with our TV show find the missing nine eleven flag, and when nine eleven happened. Uh, my dear friend, Michelle Heidenberger, was a flight attendant on the Pentagon flight. And I went searching. Everyone knows the famous photograph of the firefighters who raised the flag at Ground Zero. What very few people knew is that flag went missing. And I spent uh, years looking for it. We were able to find it on the 15th anniversary of 9-11. We actually unveiled it. It's in the 9-11 Museum right now. It is on display with my name in there. Uh, So, obviously, everything that's happening in these days uh, hits at a personal level. It hits all of us at a personal level. And and I can tell you that our next kids' book um, that's coming out is I Am Malala. We're doing I Am Malala and I Am Muhammad Ali in our kids' book series. And so I've spent the past year researching what the Taliban has done to women in Afghanistan uh, like Malala. And and I think her op-ed says it best. There's, There's nothing to say to these women who are at risk suddenly right now in ways they've never been at risk before.
2: Uh, There's no question. Uh, Colonel Oliver North said this about what's taking place. Cut 22. The number of American service members killed in Afghanistan through April 2nd, 2,448. U.S. contractors killed, 3,846. Afghan national military and police, 66,273. Anybody who says the Afghan army wouldn't fight is lying to himself and the American people, and of course the people of Afghanistan. Who you think of the gold star families in the United States who miss those those Americans who were killed over here? Think about what it's like if you're an Afghan and you lost your brother, you lost your father, you lost your sons. My God, we promised them that we were going to stick it out. Uh, I, I can I wish he was overstating it. I wish I could look at some of these statements and think this is hyperbole. But I, but you got to put this in perspective, Brad. Like nobody else, you you definitely have a long view of uh, American history. This has got to be one of our darkest days, uh, darkest developments. Yeah, you
14: know, and, and and I appreciate that. I do think the long view is important, and and I've been obviously that's what I've been doing the past few days. Uh, I talked to a dear buddy who has fought multiple tours of duty, and I called him and I said, "What do you think? Give me give me the the honest the answer." And and, and what was interesting? You know what he sent me, Brian, and it was perfect historical perspective. Is they sent me a Los Angeles Times article from 1989, but the headline says Afghanistan, and it says uh, the blanks have left Afghanistan, making the collapse of the besieged puppet regime in Kabul just a matter of time. But the blank there was not the United States leaving. It was the Soviets leaving.
13: This is an exact
14: repeat of what happened, right? You leave and it collapses. And his take on it was. You know, listen, Trump is the one who pulls us out. Biden is the one who, you know, obviously doesn't what what upset him more than anything, because he's like this isn't he said this is not a Trump issue. This is not a Biden issue. He's like the disaster is in the how we left, that we wish we left with a little more dignity and normalcy so that it isn't that instant collapse. But if you look at history and you look in Afghanistan, this is exactly what happened in 1989, the last time a big country that tried to go in there and make change um they came They left in the exact same disaster, and it, and I feel so bad for so many of the innocents who are just left standing there going, "What about us?"
2: a couple of things you know and i don 't have to tell you this before our audience, the Soviet Union moved in to expand their satellites. They wanted another ally they were going to wipe out this government and they 're going to put in their own puppet government, and they ended up uh, uh, they tried to occupy. We never tried to occupy we, even when we evaded, we went in with a small force. We just tried to stabilize, but our national interest was stopping the next 9/11. The Soviets were never attacked by Afghanistan. That was a choice. The British wanted to dominate Afghanistan. That was a choice. We would we went in there clear-eyed, knowing what happened to the Soviets. But when we went in there, we said, "Okay, wait a second. There's a huge. The Taliban aren't popular. They're oppressed. And if I could just quote Joe Biden of 2002, he said." History is going to judge us harshly, I believe, if we allow the hope of liberated Afghanistan to evaporate because we are fearful of the phrase nation building. Obviously, we've stopped nation building and George W. Bush, we focused on Iraq. Maybe some would say that was a mistake Well historians t- to handle that. But our goal was never to dominate. Uh, we never took uh, the rare earth that they had. We never tried to take any of their natural resources. We were actually paying their institutions. And not looking for yeah, any advantages,
14: and I think that's right. I, I think, but the, but I think the nuance there is what we are trying to do is is hope that they come to democracy, right? And and not because we want to like shove it down anyone's throat, but because for and, and we all agree. Like I don't think anyone's going to say that in two thousand one, you know that we couldn't have we we had to go after Al Qaeda, right? You have to go after Bin Laden. You have to go after those people who came after us. The hard part is, and the nuance, at least for me, and again, everyone has a different view here. Um, You know, my friend Lisa Hallett, who buried her husband after the war in Afghanistan, who lost her husband, who I, you know, I I was just reading what she was writing about it. And she said, you know, I lost my husband here. I buried my husband here. And the quote that she, you know, talks about from Joe Biden is the one he just gave, which is, how many more of American daughters and sons do we want to have at risk fighting for Afghanistan? And that's a really hard question. No one doubts that, like, what's happening there isn't a disaster, but the alternative is putting more of our own kids in there. Brad,
2: it's really not a good argument there for 18 months. Hasn't been one casualty, thankfully. And since 2014, uh, there has been something like 10 or 11 on average that we lost. We lose more, sadly, in training accidents domestically. But you have to understand, and maybe you don't agree, but where this is in our national interest because Islamic extremists are fixated on the West and America's the gold standard. Right, if you care about our allies, if you're listening right now, you know that these refugees are going to start storming uh, into Europe again, and this time they'll probably be repelled. And I ask you right now, the— Military goes into fight. They understand the, the stakes. When 10,000 Americans go into help, they can't believe that they could be casualties and left behind. That is, how many more thousands are going to die in Afghanistan? They might be wearing civilian clothes at, at this hour. We have no way of getting yeah, them you know, out the right now. The toll
3: gets
14: paid. I, I, listen, I agree the toll gets paid, but the toll gets paid somewhere. And there's a reason why President Trump said we don't want to fight wars over you know, other places anymore. I mean that is that is something that he read, I think totally right on the American people, like and it's just hard it's you know I know that there's been no casualties lately i know I, but that doesn't answer the argument of do you want to send and I think if you ask the American people, do you want to send American kids or I, I agree with you, you have to do something or else they're going to again come after us again. It's a matter of time until you and I are talking again in five years, three years, ten years, where we're talking about some kind of again Taliban attack that's happened because we let them do what they're doing. We know that, right? You know that that's coming. The only question is, is like, what's the best way to stop it? And and I think people have had after 20 years an exhaustion of feeling like, are we making a difference here? And, and that's, it's, you know, this is to me, I know we love to say, this is horrible. This is the best. This is the worst. This is the greatest. But this is really just one of the hard, it's hard. It's a really hard one. I don't think, I, again, this is where I think you and I kind of like, I don't think it's as easy i i think talk you know i talk to a lot of these service members and you know when you talk to them they are not going yeah we got to be back there in full force you know they're like this this is a this was a mess in many ways and and they're not saying we got to pull out like this no one's saying that this was a disaster make no mistake about it, the way we pulled out no question but my gosh this is just a hard one 20 years mm-hmm. of fighting um and it shows you how hard it is because in one day the whole thing collapses
2: like a house of cards. I, I bring you to a Wall Street Journal. Dan Crenshaw had an editorial today. He said the endless war fallacy He that simple reality was uh, never properly explained to the American public. When the Quinnipiac asked in May, should we leave Afghanistan? 62 percent said yes. But what if the question was framed the, the way it, it should be? He said, should we leave Afghanistan, even if it meant an increased threat of terrorism here at home? Then no more endless wars. Position has another blind spot. Its advocates are unable to distinguish between wasteful nation building and a small residual force that conducts occasional counter-terrorist operations. He, he you know, I can go on, but he supports yeah, the no, latter. Yeah,
14: listen, he's right about that. You ask that question, he's right about that. But I'll quote you. My, well, my friend said, you know, who's the, the member who's a captain who served for many tours in Afghanistan, he said, this was his quote. He said, Bush and gang should have tracked and sought bin Laden. Without sacrificing our sons and daughters and our souls, and he's such a great loss of my friends there and in Iraq. And now I sit and cry and wonder why. Right. And, and again, it's not like either of that. It's just it's hard. This is hard. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's right. If you ask people, do you want more terrorism? Do You want more attacks? No one's saying yes to that. That's he's absolutely right. But that doesn't mean uh, that the I'll build on what is, you spread. I'll it. build
2: on what you just said. He's 100% right. But if you, for example, want to gut the gangs out of Chicago. And you do. And you don't continue to police the area to make sure the next generation doesn't come back. They're coming back. You'll get rid of this, uh, but they're coming back. So there had to be a sto- 100%. Yeah. So there had to be a story no, that's of— the problem. Yeah. You got to go into—you know, you, we have bases in Somalia, in Yemen. Uh, we have bases we don't even know about uh, outside Nigeria. Uh, there's an AFRICOM. Now, we don't have a big footprint. We're keeping an eye on our enemy. That could have been the scenario here. But, Brad, I also want to talk about your series. You have a series on Fox Nation. Fox Nation's going great. It's a huge hit. Here's a cut from uh, uh, one of your—this uh, is D.B. Cooper, the episode. There's a lot of mystery around that. It's called Brad Meltzer's Greatest Conspiracies of All Time. Here's one. Was this a couple individuals? Was D.B. Cooper a solo guy? Was this a singular individual doing one thing to get his money? Or was this a group of guys— when you talk to guys who are commandos, those troopers that I've talked to are absolutely convinced that D.B. Cooper is one of them. One guy told me, Cooper did it exactly the way I would have done it. He was trained, he was smart, he was well-educated. He knew more about the plane than the pilots did. He knew that plane could be flown at 10,000 feet with the stairs down. He knew they'd have to slow the plane down. The pilot told me, he said, when Cooper told me to set the wing flaps at 15. He said, I knew you, smart cookie. So this is a mystery still is yet to be unwound. What did you discover?
14: Yeah, you know, um, what we did in each of them, I, I think the word conspiracy theory today is uh, has taken on a different meaning. And uh, what I think conspiracy theories means is you got to find the truth. And so what we did is we looked at five of the top mystery conspiracy theories of all time and tried to find the real truth in them. So for D.B. Cooper, who famously, you know, remains the only unsolved air hijacking in, in, in history, in American history, we went looking, who is he really? And what's the nonsense? And what's the, what's the the fake stuff? You know, someone said to me as a producer, they said, the less facts you have on shows like this, the more scary music you play. And I said, (laughs) I never want to do, I said, I I said, I never want to do that show. I want to find the real answer. So we actually went, we found um, the house where we, where we think D.B. Cooper stayed. And we didn't, the truth was, Brian, we were like, are we going to find something? We don't know. And I get a phone call at 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. On the east coast and i know they're there and they're like you're not going to believe what we found in the attic and we found a little suitcase in the attic uh and it was i don't want to ruin it but watch on fox nation we do um the top five i won't ruin them now but we do the lincoln assassination we do db cooper we do the the loss of confederate gold um, which is one of the great stories of what happened to confederate gold after the civil war and everyone knows the top two of course we do area 51 because you got to know what's in area 51 and, and my favorite conspiracy of all time is of course number one, the JFK assassination.
2: Awesome. Uh, Brad Meltzer is also going to help out with the TV special we have coming up the president of the freedom fighter, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Brad's going to be on TV for that. So you're, you're really in the Fox family now. It's official.
14: Listen, uh, wherever you go, I know that anytime I go with you, we will always have a fun time and a Halloween flight on an airplane. So I, <laughs> those two things are always. <laughs> it's you true. Know, Make for a good trip.
2: You got it. Brad Meltzer, thanks so much. You can follow him at Brad Meltzer, M-L-T-M-E-L-T-Z-E-R. Brad, thanks. When we come back, we'll find out if there's more No.
1: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back, everyone. We've got a couple of minutes, uh, just uh, some moments to, to just give you an idea what's going on. This just came across on the Wall Street Journal. They have somebody on the ground there. They say uh, this is kind of a little bit heartening. Afghan cities in Jalalabad Coast and another unpronounceable name. They have people who are loyal to the Afghan government now deposed, walking the streets, chanting Allah Akbar, uh, holding the old flag, the, the black, green and the black, red and green flag that they had uh, under Gahani and Karzai. So it's not going to be easy. I hear there's still some uh, there's some fighting going on in the north. Add this to it uh, as well, uh, that the there were there was shots rung out from the Taliban government. You know, that new benevolent version of the Taliban government. Uh, They're shooting at the protesters. Let's find out this morning now.
1: More to Know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Uh, in
2: the unnecessary category of things that the Biden administration is going to be known for for no reason, uh, they are despicable. They are pledging now to crack down on schools that don't allow trans athletes and girls sports. Thank you. Anybody have a girl that wants to do well in sports and competing against a guy? The video recommends multiple avenues in which transgender students can file discrimination lawsuits. Amazing. Next, Gavin Newsom might lose his job, but he will definitely lose his house. The 53-year-old Democrat sold his pre-governorship mansion outside San Francisco for almost $6 million. Man, he earns a lot of money. Next, soccer fans are on buying Hope Solo's bullying accusations against Megan Rapino. Here's what the goalie said about the uh, the, uh, the left winger.
0: The kneeling thing can, can be very divisive. Um, I've seen Megan Rapino almost bully players into kneeling because she, she really wants to stand up for something in her particular way. But it's our right as Americans to do it, um, you know, in whatever way we're comfortable with.
2: Hope Solo is 100% right. Megan Rapino, I wish she would retire. Uh, U.S. soccer sadly agrees with her. And one thing of note, special education teachers, a shortage impacting 48 states. So if you're going into education, you want to do something great, uh, go into that region of it. Hey, uh, this is Brian Kilmeade. Make sure you keep it here at BrianKilmeadeShow.com and order our podcast. And don't forget, if you need any history books in our war and history, go grab one of mine, BrianKilmeade.com. I sign and send
8: from the Fox News Podcasts network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnews.podcasts.com.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a big hour coming your way. Martha McCallum and General Jack Keane will be in studio. There was a time, I think we went a year without it, a single in-studio guest. And now to have two is going to be phenomenal. To talk to General Jack Keene, who knows the region, the area, about the unfolding tragic events in Afghanistan will be a privilege, uh, as well as the contact he has in the Pentagon to move this story forward. And Martha McCallum's perspective is uh, um, you know, beyond reproach, and the people she's talked to at her show is really setting the standard Uh, Before we go any further, it's my privilege to bring in a best-selling author, esteemed author and columnist and deep thinker, Andrew Sullivan, editor of the Weekly Dish and author of the new book, Out on a Limb, Selected Writings, they're his, from 1989 to 2021, former editor of the New Republic and was the founding editor of the Daily Dish, has been a regular writer for the New York Times Magazine, the Atlantic Time, Newsweek, New York Magazine, the Sunday Times, and now the Weekly Dish. Uh, Andrew, welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show.
15: Thank you so much for having me, Brian. So I really, appreciate it. Uh,
2: Andrew, uh, you're one of the first major names to stand up and speak out and say, "Listen, I'm not happy what's going on with journalism. I do not like what uh, the way people are trying to shape me. I got to go out and do my own thing. What got you to that point?:
15: Well, look, when I wrote a piece last summer saying I really found the destruction and rioting and looting happening in New York and other major cities. Uh, I wanted to write a piece about it, and I was told that I could not use the word riot because that was offensive. And at that point, I'm just after a, a year of being woke checked, basically being told every sentence being parsed. I just decided I had to go and write for my heart again, and actually get out there and and tell the truth as I see it. I, I'm not interested in in, ca- in caving to woke uh, puritans. I've lived, I've had a long career, and I'm not going to be shut up or coerced at this point
2: in it understood uh first off on the fast-changing events uh i mean you you talked about in the past that you know i you thought you were too much in support of the iraq war you're always willing to feel as though if your if your opinions evolve you always listen you're not dug in that which makes a good columnist mm-hmm. i thought um and the other thing is i just like to get your take on afghanistan nobody needs to tell you we've been there 20 years you were there i've uh, been chronicling been a major player since nine eleven. Your thoughts about the dismount Biden style?
15: Well, it's, it's awful uh, to think that we have left people behind who risked everything for us and for their own futures, and we have not secured them is an absolute unmitigated tragedy. And I, I, and I don't think any of us disagree with that. The dismount has been terrible. On the other hand, it is important to realize, in some ways, do we think staying another 20 years would have made a withdrawal any easier? Do we think there was ever going to be a point in which we left and the Taliban were not going to take over? We kind of lost the war a very long time ago. And this is the horrible way to end it. But I don't think ending wars is ever easy. They're always messy and bad. I think they could have done a lot better. But I am, to be honest with you, happy that the United States is no longer bogged down in that country for more than two decades
2: See, in terms of uh, nation building, I think we left that a long time ago, although I have an interesting quote from Joe Biden 2002. History is going to judge us harshly, I believe, if we allow the hope of the liberated Afghanistan to evaporate because we're fearful of the phrase nation building. Uh, Man, has he evolved. Uh, Well, you know, it turns out
15: he was pretty much against troops under Obama. He was a pretty consistent uh, dove on this. When I say dove, I mean just realist about this. And I do think Obama was kind of uh, conned into sending more troops there. I don't think this was really rescuable. I don't think any empire has ever run Afghanistan as a single country in the history of the world. It's the worst possible place. And so I think our troops are better off fighting real enemies, uh, China, dealing with Russia, and, and, and globally protecting the United States than trying to create a liberal democracy in Afghanistan. It's simple definition of insanity.
2: I'm, I'm between you. And what you said, uh, nation building and leaving in that I thoroughly believe there's a terror threat to our homeland here. It's been proven time and time again, and we, uh, most of all on 9-11, uh, the coal bombing, Al-Qaeda, the 98 uh, embassy bombings, Al-Qaeda, and now <laughs> they, they get emboldened. Leon Panetta weighed in today, uh, yesterday, I should say, the former CIA director, secretary of defense, chief of Staff for Bill Clinton, uh, cut 24.
6: The problem now is going to be How do we make sure that uh, our national security uh, is protected. How are we going to make sure that that the Taliban, uh, working with these terrorist groups, does not represent uh, another threat to the United States? And for that to happen, we are going to have to make sure that we build alliances, that we strengthen those alliances, and that we make clear that Afghanistan is not going to become, regardless of the control of the Taliban, it cannot become a safe haven for those who would attack the United States
2: of america not a right-wing firebrand former republican or in his early days but that's my concern i'm not concerned about i care about the afghanistan people and it would be great for them to take advantage of their opportunity to form a government that will allow people uh to express themselves to a degree of liberty whatever that shape is to our credit we didn't want anything that they had we just want to give them a chance and not be a, a terrorist launching pad on, on some level do you think andrew sullivan you'll be writing about an attack that came from afghanistan Maybe.
15: I hope not. When you look at the world and where some of these uh, failed states are occurring and where the possibility for radical Islamist terrorists to recur, you can look at most of Africa right now, which is actually a kind of building ground for some of these uh, fanatical Muslim terrorists. Look, we can recognize that we have a problem there, but we can also recognize that the solution is not occupying places indefinitely, uh, where people really aren't ready for the kind of government that we would like them to have. And, and I just think that's realism. It, 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 this, we have to withdraw at some point. We are not an empire. And at some point, the speed with which this Afghan government collapsed shows that underneath all this, this was doomed anyway. And if we had slowed the, the withdrawal, maybe the Taliban would have rena- uh, restarted uh, fighting and we would have gone out in a much different way. So I think in the long run, a year from now, we may have some problems, but we will not be bogged down there. And that is a game. President Trump wanted that. President Obama wanted that. The American people want that. And you cannot sustain a military occupation of a place without the country's continuing enthusiastic support. And it just isn't there. And I understand why.
2: Um, do you, wh- how do you think we're going to get— Ten to twenty thousand Americans out of this country without a military base to come from, with the Taliban stopping every artery to Kabul because a lot of American citizens and Afghan allies are outside the capital and even in the capital they 're told to shelter in place. Do you remember anything like this a scenario anything like this
15: no i don 't uh, i don't on the other hand, we haven 't been in this situation really since. Gone or since Baghdad. Um, it happened, if you remember, Al came, I mean, uh, ISIS came roaring back as soon as we tried to get out of Iraq, but we didn't go back in and reoccupy the whole place indefinitely. Um, I think, I, I don't, it's up to the military to figure that out. If I were them, I would retake territory within the city or outside the city to facilitate the transfer of people we need to evacuate. But I'm not a military expert, and I'm not going to make those calls right here. I just don't know the, the actual contingency on the ground. And I, I want to be careful about being an armchair warrior here.
2: And the one thing I do know about you, to pivot just a little bit, we have the news of the day, and it's overwhelming. I get it. Uh, the pandemic is with us. I understand it. But I want to talk to you, and one of the things I like so much about reading your book and going back is that you want to be an American? You chose to be an American and you love this country. And why that, it, it saddens me that that's something that stands out about your book and some of your, and your conversations. Do, what do you, why, why do you think Americans don't love America like they used to?
15: I don't know. I think they've gotten into a frame of mind that's sort of apocalyptic. And when I hear people saying to me, an immigrant, that America's a racist country, or or God help us, a white supremacy. And I'm an immigrant here. And I look at this country with its many different races. It's the most multiracial, multicultural democracy on the planet. Its levels of toleration are very high. It's working on resilient problems, but the idea that this is a doomed adventure is the most astonishing experiment in the history of mankind. I came here because I love this place and I love the freedom here, I love the individuality here. We have to fight threats from the left to turn us all into these racial groupings or sexual groupings that divide us from one another. And we have to return to the great American principle that if you're an individual, you can chart your own future regardless of your race or gender or any anything else. And I, I, I came to this country and I've seen... In the last 30 years, for example, I'm a a gay man. I've seen this country listen and debate and talk about these issues and change in ways that is democratically admirable. And I'm tired of hearing people who really begun to take this country for granted. Um, There are people trying to get into this country. Why would they be doing that if this is a disgusting white supremacy uh, filled country? It's just not true. And sometimes it takes immigrants to say, This is not true. Stop running down your own country. There are problems. Let's tackle them. But let's not engage in this hatred, this attempt to say that America is really about the implementation of oppression of Mm non-white people. Non-white people in America have the best chance of any non-white people on the planet right now. And we need to get a sense of perspective here to get a sense of reality and sometimes the the news and the online and social media can get us completely uh distorted our judgment and uh i want to take a deep breath and say there's a lot here to love a really great deal here to love and i'm happy and proud to become an american
2: all right and i gotta be honest too i stole this from megan kelly i found it in your book and i downloaded your book to get you extra money andrew so i didn't get the free one so i downloaded it uh and here's the quote from you What matters for Americans in small ways and large is never where you come from, but where you are going, what you are doing now or what you are about to become. In all the years I have lived in America, almost a decade and a half now, it never ceases to amaze me that almost nobody has ever demanded to know by what right I belong here. And I just thought that said, by the way, uh, just grave-written three sentences— it's like you're well, here. Yeah. You, it counts. And it, when, when, if Andrew Sullivan has more money in a bigger house than Brian Kilmeade, I'll aspire if I choose to, to do that. I don't resent you. I look at that as a goal. What happened?
15: Well, I believe in the, the, that you don't make the poor wealthy by making the rich poor. That's nuts. Um, I, uh, I, I think that some people have become obsessed with the past. I mean, you look at The New York Times trying to redefine America as founded in 1619, because America is understood to be a slavocracy. I mean, where are they getting this from, except for some 20th century French theorists that regard all liberty and all constitutional order as some kind of repression? Uh, and that kind of obsession with the past by the left it strikes me as incredibly bad for them, and, and not Americans like to look forward, they like optimism. Similarly, I have to say, on the right, it's important that conservatives don't begin to decry this country as a lost cause or we'll think of it as, a, as, as, as somehow going to hell. It's never going to hell, it's always a work in progress, and it's always worth engaging with. Um, and that's what I try to do in the book over the years. I've tried to understand. The world as i as i see it there are, there are pieces in here that celebrate strange people like monica winsky and abraham lincoln there's a big uh, appreciation of pope francis i'm a practicing catholic too um there's a lot of lot in there but it's about the amazing kaleidoscope that america is and and how infinitely exciting and interesting it always is and how restless it is i've learned to really trust the constitution And that's why, because it's the main anchor for us, and that's why I'm particularly concerned when constitutional procedures are broken either by the left or by the right.
2: Andrew Sullivan, our guest, uh, his book is now out now. It's called Out on a Limb, Selected Writings from 1989 to 2021. Andrew, you also believe that uh, religion uh, is becoming lost, and that's a huge problem and really the epicenter of other problems. In what respect, or am I characterizing you wrong?
15: No, you're right. I, I, I think that religion did a huge amount of good in this country in keeping the country together and giving everybody a sense of direction and ultimate meaning. And the decline of religion, especially in the 21st century, doesn't mean that the need for faith and meaning has gone away. It just means that other things will come in and take the place of religion. And I think the woke culture is partly this kind of almost religious born-again Culture of, of, of religious redemption. And I also think that the idea that the right should con- to confine all its views and all its opinions to one man, to one great leader, a cultish kind of respect or love of Trump, I think that's also uh, a delusion and, and, and thing to avoid. Um, and I think what Christianity did that we don't really appreciate until it's gone is that it told us that each of us is individual and have, because we each have a soul. Uh, Under the eyes of God. And that's really the core of our equality. And from that came democracy. From that came liberal democracy. And it didn't, it hasn't always been around. It's only two or three hundred years. And most of society in human history has been tribal warfare and hatred and all the the deeper racial animosities and tribal animosities. To get beyond that has taken a huge amount of achievement, which we have to congratulate and thank our our, our ancestors for. And that's worth defending, but it needs needs some common meaning. And I think a rediscovery of Christianity, of beginning to see it as a way of life as a way of connecting ourselves to life and death and birth and all of us around in, in charity, right. that is, you get rid of that. And these people, these new atheists want to get, and then you, then look at society, look how unhappy, how depressed, how easily whipped up into fervor and frenzy people can be. And, and, and religion is the way to, to slake that spiritual thirst without being politically dangerous.
2: He's from Oxford but he listens to people that didn't even go to Oxford. Can you believe it? Andrew Sullivan, editor of the Weekly Dish. You could follow him at Sully Dish, uh, and you could go pick out his book, Out in a Limb. Andrew, hope we could do this again soon.
1: I would love to do that, Brian. God bless you. Uh,
2: back at you, uh, Andrew Sullivan. When we come back, your calls.
1: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back. Martha McCallum in studio with General Jack Keene. Another reason to get Fox Nation you can see us on right now. It's been so long since I, uh, I had one guest, Martha. We get to see each other, but to have two great guests like you guys, it feels like 1999 again. Um, <laughs> but, but I wish it was a better situation, mm-hmm. but we need your expertise fast moving. We understand, uh, and we will got a whole half hour on this. Real quick, on what you see today and your, your greatest worry, Martha.
12: Well, the greatest most immediate worry is getting our people out of afghanistan uh, and and there are a number of reasons that we're dealing with that situation. Um, one of them is the decision to leave Bagram air base uh, and and why we did that uh, why we gave up the most sort of comprehensive leverage point that we had and we controlled that air base now we're dealing with an Afghan airport uh, that is part international, part military. Uh, that we don't have the kind of control over that we would have had at right. Bagram.
2: And, General, just to weigh in before we go to break, uh, what's your big, biggest worry today? How do we break this logjam? Our people can't get out. We, a lot of them can't get to Kabul.
9: Yeah, well, my, my, my concern is with President Biden and because Jake Sullivan is sort of reflecting his thoughts when he's talking to the American people. And I think he has something of a callous indifference to what is actually happening, not so much to American citizens but to the Afghans who we need to get out. In 1975, Senator Joe Biden, then discussing the South Vietnamese evacuation, said the United States has no obligation to evacuate even one South Vietnamese or 100,000 in one. And, also and with- I think that is reflected in the policies we see being executed. We should, un- with no equivocation, tell the Taliban that we're going to get all of our people out and it's gonna- we don't care how long it takes.
2: Martha, the General, back in a moment
8: from the fox news Podcasts network download and listen to the one with craig gutfeld the co-host of the five like you've never heard him before you know him you love him you want to be like him subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
1: the talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade
11: so, I don't know exactly what the intelligence community told him prior to his decision, right? And that's the important moment is before he made his decision in April, did the intelligence community say two years? Um, or did they say three to six months, or did they say nine months? Um, I'm hearing they said ninety days. Um, I think most people think the clock starts when the last combat boot leaves the ground. Not true. The clock started in April when the president made the decision, because that's when everybody's psychology changed, right? That's when the Taliban knew it was gonna win. And I am certain, I don't, I don't know for, you know, but I'm certain the intelligence community saw all of that. So if they said three to six months and the clock starts in April, not too bad, huh? Not too bad. Um, if you start the clock, you know, 10 days ago, then it looks worse.
2: Mike Murrell, uh, trying to stick up with the intel community. Now that he's in the real world, he used to be uh, acting CIA director, deputy director. He used to brief both President Obama and President Bush during the most harrowing times uh, since the 9-11 attacks. With me in studio, General Jack Keene. We'll open this up to all three of us, and Martha McCallum, just kind of make our way through it. What struck me this morning, as we try to find out where we're going right now, as things get very perilous, understand 17 hurt, people are trampled in and about Kabul airport, Americans told to shelter in place as they try to get out of Afghanistan while they can. I'm just noticing, guys, did you, that a lot of people are saying this was not my idea. Like the intel agencies, uh, the New York Times, classified assessments by American spy agencies over the summer painted an increasingly grim picture of the prospect of a Taliban takeover Afghanistan. By July, many intel reports grew even more pessimistic. So they're putting it out there, they're showing reporters documents to say, listen, this was his thing, Martha. So the intel agencies... Can't, don't usually call a press conference to turn on the president, but this is the way they do it.
12: Well, unfortunately, he threw them under the bus, threw the Afghan people yes. under the bus when he came out and spoke. Um, you know, the the sort of upright thing to do would be to say, uh, I was advised about a lot of this. I believe we need to leave. And I stuck my neck out. And this is the policy. I'm the president of the United States, and this is what we're going to do. But he didn't do that. Uh, He blamed the Trump administration. He blamed the Afghan people not having the will to fight the Afghan army uh, all the way down the line and our intelligence folks for essentially not not presenting the situation as... uh, in a way that was realistic. So, you know, I mean, it's pretty shocking where we find ourselves today. And I think that all, what I find most interesting about the reaction to this story so far is that people just all across the board feel kind of sick in their gut. All channels. Regardless of their political perspective. And it's not about the decision so much of whether to leave or whether to stay or whether to keep that presence that had worked well for the last 18 months. It's about watching America handle it in such a ham-fisted way that is beyond that, that that has also turned to to violence and to suffering right. for so many
9: people.
2: We're civilians. You're the military guy, and you're in contact with both administrations, and you were there from day one, general, in uniform. Your thoughts?
9: No, I agree with Martha. I mean, it, this, this has really gripped the nation and the American people, and it doesn't have anything to do with politics or some of the other things that seem to divide us. This really has united us, and And we're embarrassed and we're ashamed. And we look at this and we say, God, I mean, America is better than this. And uh, our leaders are not reflecting the values and strength of the American people in the decisions that they've made here and how they're handling this debacle. Right now, today, they still don't have it right. Um, And they've got to get it right to get these people out. It is our moral commitment to do that. And we have to have the, the force of conviction, and we have to find our own spine in doing that. But who, who I mean, are you talking if, to if, when you say if, that, Are James? we actually saying, the administration it seems to be saying, that we're not willing to risk using our weapons to protect the American citizens who are trapped inside of Kabul or in other environments. These are American citizens now. That's tar- prim- primary target one. The Afghan friends also. But we're not—the implication is we're not willing to use those weapons. We're not you willing to take casualties. I know. We're not willing to—you re- ask those soldiers out there at that airfield, would they be willing to go down and clear the streets and establish safe corridors for the Americans to get out of there? You bet you, they would. This is about—most of the time our soldiers are in combat fighting for somebody else, some other people in another country. This would be about American citizens. They would— they would be there in a heartbeat. With what? What?
2: With what? Do we have any armor? Didn't we give it all away? Didn't I mean we, we don't have need
9: armor to deal with the Taliban to go and to the streets? We, we have huge amount of air power available to us. It's all there, ready to be used, not sitting right there, but we have it all Over available the to us. Yes. And the Taliban knows that. I mean, we could actually share with them what we would do. I mean, to understand the problem they're gonna have with this. It is it but it starts with the leader. It starts with the moral commitment and the force of that commitment, and you have to drive that into your organization and make certain that the Defense Department should be in the lead, not the state, and tell them that we're staying until we get all of our people out.
2: You might even interrupt your show. General Austin's going to be speaking today. Uh, CENCOM, uh, the um, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Milley's going to be talking today. Why do you think it's taken three, four days? Don't you both, If you both can weigh in on that, one, two, what could they yeah. say?
12: Well, uh, yesterday, I think it was um, Ned Price who was asked, or maybe it was Jake Sullivan, what took so long, why we haven't heard from them, and he said they were busy. I, I think there's more to that, obviously. I think that the-, the sort of dissension that we've heard that General Keene talks about between the State Department and the Defense Department, and also the fact that there's a lot of reporting that points to President Biden being out on his own on this, and that both uh, areas were not in favor of the way that this pullout was, was going to be played out. I I think one of the things that is something to watch is whether we see what General Keenan has just talked about, which is a plan presented or even, you know, in very short order, the plan constructed and then the notification to the Taliban. This is what's happening. Get out of the way. We're coming in. We're going to lift people out, whether it's on, you know, helicopters or however the most efficient way to get them out is or whether we bring our special forces to bear. This is what's happening. Back down. If you try to mess with us as we get our people out, you will suffer the ramifications.
2: General, when will you get your first indication that maybe what you're at, what you th- what you say we need, and what Martha says, seems to be saying is would be effective, when are we going to know if we're going to do that?
9: Will that well, be today in a press conference? When, uh, when they answer the question that Jake Sullivan refused to answer, and that is, what about 31 August? And we don't have everybody out by 31 August. I mean, what we should be proclaiming is what I said. We're going <clears> to... <throat> we're not leaving until we get all of our people out. So 31 August is no longer an end date for us. And that's got to be told to the Taliban without any equivocation whatsoever. That, if I hear that this afternoon... uh, then we know we've changed our policy, and we know we've changed fundamentally. More importantly, we've changed our plans.
2: And let's just look at what we've done right now. So we've, we've pulled out. We've lost Bagram Air Base. They let go of all those prisoners, and we, uh, all the armament that we had for the Afghan forces is now in the hands of the Taliban as soon as they find it, but they haven't taken already. I am heartened by the fact in two or three separate cities— they're flying the old Afghan flag now, the deposed Afghan government, and they're fighting in the streets, and, the ta- and they're protesting in the streets, and the Taliban are shooting at them. But this shows you that the Afghan government, the Taliban is in total control, and the Afghan government isn't totally out. I also heard that there's fighting in the north, yep. uh, and Abdullah, Abdullah, who was the second-in-command uh, under Gahani, is in Kabul negotiating right now with the Taliban.
12: With Karzai, apparently.
2: With, with Kar- Well, as a partner, but not with Karzai, right?
9: Well, the Taliban, they don't want to repeat the mistakes of 1996, you know, when they took over. And they didn't try to unify the government whatsoever. They isolated themselves. They had this radical version of Islam that they imposed on the people, and a civil war broke out. And the way we were able to depose the Taliban without getting a lot of U.S. forces involved is because the Northern Alliance was fighting the Taliban— uh, Post 9/11, when we went back into that country, they were our ground force. Our special forces were able to provide air support for them because they were they were side by side with them. And the Taliban doesn't want a repeat of that. They they don't want this civil war that's coming. That they they work with Ismail Khan, who's a huge warlord and a very highly respected leader in Herat in western uh, <coughs> Western Afghanistan, and he is committed to work with the Taliban. They they offer him things that we don't know. And they're trying to take a completely different approach than what they did in 1996 to avoid that civil war and avoid the country being fractured. But I think a civil war is likely.
2: You mean there's there's other forces that are going to give the Taliban a challenge?
9: Oh, yeah. Not all these militia groups are going to submit to the Taliban, and all, these warlords are not all going to submit to them, despite the sweeteners that they're offering them.
2: What I don't understand on the diplom- diplomacy side Joe Biden knows everybody, right? He's the adult. He thought of all scenarios. You might not agree with the decision, but he's going to be prepared. The first indication I thought, and you might think I'm crazy, that this administration didn't have their act together is when they forgot to commemorate D-Day. I'm like, wait a second. They didn't even commemorate D-Day. They're forgetting the little things. They're late on everything. And I'm saying to myself, I thought the new guys just left. These are the guys who were just here. But the rest of the world is flabbergasted at what they're seeing. Our allies, do you see the next it seems like the 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 man's favor to replace Angela Merkel says the biggest disaster in the history of NATO? Even Boris Johnson went out of his way not to be critical, but he he can't put it into words. And Joe Biden never picked up the phone to talk to a world leader to explain himself or ask for help.
12: Well, I think this is why Americans are so sickened by what they're seeing, because it feels like we are not a superpower. It feels like we don't have strong leadership. We count on our leadership in this country to deal with situations like this in an incredibly effective way. We have a great military. They are trained uh, in a, in a way that is is so thorough and comprehensive, and their commitment has been so complete. They need to have a strong, organized leadership. I think you know we we still haven't heard from Secretary of State Blinken. I mean who you know I I think back to Pompeo you think back to you know what this might look like because this very well could have happened under the Trump administration um, and it would have been handled and these folks would have had to answer for it um so I think that's that's what makes people feel so concerned on so many levels in this country, whether it's, you know, education or training or military or now this, right? We have a real fear that we're not who who we used to be. And I think that's why people are feeling so deeply unsettled across the board.
2: What do you say to people? General, you know, these people and uh, even the next generation of warfighters who have done so well and so successful in Afghanistan and in uh, in Iraq, looking around saying, is this worth it? You must be getting this constantly. What do you say to them?
9: Well, in, in terms of uh, in terms of the military, I know what that feels like. I I was a platoon leader and company commander with 101st Airborne, and and um, and, <clears throat> and we you know we fought very successfully and very hard, you know, uh, in that war. And then in 1975, uh, you know, it was pulled out from underneath us, and and that was a huge gut punch. It actually it nearly came pretty close to uh, to fracturing the army. As a result of it, so many people left in despair and frustration. I didn't. I, I said, look, it, uh, I've learned a lot in this war. I can help the youngsters that are coming, and we're going to do better the next time. And I blame my military leaders. I held them in contempt, to be frank about it, because they had the wrong strategy for three years, kind of similar to what we did in Iraq for three years, you know, under Casey and Abizade.
2: Until the surge.
9: Until the surge, right. So, I mean, we get it wrong for sure. And military at times contributes to policy failures as a result of their own strategy. We're imperfect. But by God, I mean, it, this thing, it, it isn't that we were surprised by this. The, the, the knowledge out there about the Taliban and al-Qaeda and the, and the Afghan forces and the weaknesses that they have without U.S. enablers, this is all well known. There's, there's, there's no shock here. And they're not— did not take all of that into consideration when you're making serious policy form- formulations that have such dire consequences. Think of this. I mean, the, the Taliban are the premier jihadist organization in, in the world today, they defeated the United States of America. No other organization can make that claim. And as a result of that, foreign fighters are going to want to come to Afghanistan because it'll be the epicenter of jihadism. The al-Qaeda that are in 10 to 15 provinces right now, shielded shielded by the Taliban, they don't have to be shielded anymore. They're going to be out in the open. Yep. They'll do everything they want to do in the open. Our CIA bases that we're following and tracking them, they're gone. Tracking these guys is going to be very difficult without eyes and ears of the Afghan people, eyes and ears of the Afghan soldiers, and our own intelligence capability. And think of the consequences worldwide. Watch this. Watch how China, Russia, and Iran are emboldened. Watch China with Taiwan. It's already beginning with their bluster. Watch Iran Watch Iran when they start to attack U.S. using their proxies, U.S. forces, to get us out yep. of Iraq. We're now out of their eastern border. They want us out of their western border. And watch Russia start pushing Ukraine around, knowing full well— right that they have a guy in the White House that they don't think is going to stand up to them.
2: I want to get your final thoughts when we come back. And, Martha, get a preview of your show with three. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show, General Jack Keane, Martha McCallum. Don't move.
1: A radio show of the people for the people. people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So busy he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Martha
2: McCallum, you're going to take the range at three. I do not know. This is fast-changing story. What you're going to? I know you're going to lead with. I don't know what's going to be happening, but what can we expect on your show?
12: Well, we have General Petraeus with us at the top of the hour. We'll be obviously taking live this news briefing that's going to come from Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, um, Mark Milley. We haven't heard from either one of them since this whole thing began. We know there's been a lot of contentious discussions between the branches of our government and a lot of questions about President Biden's uh, sort of out-on-a-limb strategy here. There's going to be a lot of tough questions there. We'll carry it live, and we have a great follow-up to uh, to, to comment on what we see.
2: General Keane, what are you looking for today?
9: A, a commitment and determination uh, and resolve that's reflected uh, by those leaders. Uh, having the president's decision, I would hope to stay in uh, Afghanistan as long as it takes to get our people out safely.
2: You'd reopen Bagram Air Base in order so to I, I would
9: reopen it and, and even go uh, to Kandahar if that's necessary, depending on where the people are. I have no feel for where the people are. We have to be able to go where they are. It's it, it's going to be very difficult to move these people cross-country if that if that has to take place. We have to recognize that this collapsed so quickly, and I'm assuming we have contingency plans to deal with this. I, at least I would like to think so. But I want to see that determination and resolve. And if we if we're going to end this on 31 August and just leave, and we're going to leave American citizens there, and Afghan. Co-workers, uh, that would be one of the most shameful things this country's ever done.
2: I think they would try to impeach the president, Martha. If he, if he's got, yeah, I can't get a thousand Americans out. I, I have a deadline's a deadline. I, you think he's going to go talk about booster shots after that?
12: Well, there's an obvious effort in terms of communications to turn the page today. We have two appearances by the president that are focused on COVID and vaccines. And you can already see some of uh, even the other media outlets that had been critical of what we have seen so far turning the page as well. So I think there's a big effort under the underway to sort of get past this. And, you know, I, I don't see how that happens if you leave Americans on the ground or Afghans who fought alongside us, who clearly had the will to turn their country around. General,
2: real quick, 10 seconds. Did we have to leave the embassy? No. Why did we? It's unbelievable. I, I
9: don't know why. No.
2: Destroyed
12: everything, and we left him. We, we went over
2: the embassy. It should have been base. one
9: of the conditions bring troops in, protect the embassy, bring troops in, protect airfields.
12: The Russian and China's embassies are still there.
2: Thanks, guys.